Well, I have to say that I have been looking forward to being here with you because I feel like I know you all. I have heard so many good things about Calvary, and I'm not just saying that because I'm here this morning, uh, but I've had friends who have been part of Calvary. I've known people who have come to faith here, and I also, I know your works. I know the way that you all are seeking to glorify God and in furthering the kingdom in both word and deed and caring for, as Jesus said, the least of these by making sure that you share the good news and the hope of the gospel. And so in knowing all that you're doing, it's great to be able to form this new partnership together uh, in what Hope Clinic is and Calvary and the mission. Uh, But before I actually dive in, I'm gonna share some of Hope Clinic and then we're gonna look at God's word together. I also wanna say a personal thank you. And that's as a father. Uh, because my daughter, Sarah, who I did ask permission if I could say her name, uh, is in the youth group here, has been here for about a year and a half, and loves it. Uh, So I won't even name names like Jordan and Phil and uh, others who are part of this and who work so hard, and and others who welcomed her here as opposed to saying, no, no, this is our group, you know, you're, you're out here, said, so glad you're here, welcome. That's unique. That doesn't happen every place. So well done and thank you for uh, all that you are doing and for the ministry that's happening um, here in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You all are doing that. So I praise God for you. I thank God for you. And I'm grateful to be here to share some about Hope Clinic uh, and to looking at God's word. Uh, Before sharing that, though, I guess you're thinking, you know, you're expecting Dave and and you know, normally a good preacher and you're stuck with me today and you, know, you never know who you're gonna get when you come into church, right? And I heard the case of a guest preacher who was a surprise to at least one person in the congregation. So what happened is the person came in, began preaching, and someone came in really late into the back of the church and slid into the last row there. And as he came in, he looked up and saw who the preacher was and went, oh no. And just kind of thinking out loud, he said, oh my, I have seen, I've heard this guy before, he's awful. And so kind of saying this out loud, and the woman who's sitting next to him is hearing him, and and he turns to her and says, okay, seriously, we should get out now. The guy is awful, he doesn't preach the gospel, get out now. The woman then says, do you actually know who I am? (laughs) He says, "I, I, I don't. And she says, I am Mrs. Awful. He says, right, do you actually know who I am? She said, no, I don't. He said, good, and he left. (laughs) So you are safe because my Mrs. Awful is not here this morning, she's in our church, and uh, and if you try and leave in the back row, I will be watching, I can see you. And actually, that's one of Hope's core values. Sounds odd, it sounds a little creepy watching you and saying we're watching for everyone there, but here's the thing, one of Hope's core values is seeing each person. For us, it's wrapped up in a greeting, it's a Zulu greeting, Zulu tribe in Southern Africa, and when they greet one another, they say, Sayubwona. Some of you may have heard this before, and Sayubwona, when they say that, it means I see you. And the person responds with, I am seen, or I am here, I am present. Compare that to ours of, hey, how you doing? How are you? And you keep going. So instead, we say for every person who comes through our doors at Hope Clinic, and we have clinics in Wayne and in Westland, 
we say to each person, you matter. Because you are created in the image of God, you matter. You deserve dignity and respect, and we want to do the best for you because Jesus said, whatever we have done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done for me. How do we do that? So we're grateful that you all do that and you see, say saw you bona to the folks that you work with. And so for us, our mission is very simple. At Hope, we partner with you. We partner with you, Calvary Church, Calvary Baptist. Uh, and we do that to make lives better through holistic care, providing free medical and free dental and free food and care and prayer. And most importantly, we do all of it in the name of Jesus. And last year, we served over 40,000 requests for help, and we do it all with volunteers. Uh, so that means that last year, we had 52,000 volunteer hours of everyone from physicians, nurses, people who are working at the food pantry, people creating meals, helping with laundry, all the different work that we do. Uh, and so the first part, how we started out, was medical care uh, and serving patients who don't have insurance. About 12% of people in Michigan don't have access to medical care. Uh, we do that as well, and we have a free pharmacy of about a million dollars donated in pharmaceuticals. Uh, we have a free dental clinic where, unfortunately, right now, we have a wait list of over 200 patients, and that's capped at 200 because we didn't want to give false hope. I had a woman just last week who was coming and crying, saying, please, I don't have access to dental care. Please, can I get in? And we've got this line. So I'm working, spending my time trying to get more volunteer dentists um, so that we can serve more. Also, we had just a guy who this week got his dental care fixed. He felt so good about himself. He left the clinic, went out and applied for another job that was higher pay, got it, came back to the clinic to say, I got this new job because he felt so good. He felt so confident. We also provide food seven days a week. If you walk into Hope Clinic right now and you say, I'm hungry, you get a bag of food. No forms, no nothing, you get a bag. If you say, I'm hungry and I've got a family, you get multiple bags. In about two, uh, two and a half hours from now, we're going to have a group of people making a meal to serve a hot dinner to about 80 people tonight. We actually have, uh, we used to do hot meals just on Saturday and Sunday, but the Salvation Army has pulled out of Ypsilanti and they were doing meals on Monday and Thursday. We just started last week doing it. I will be there tomorrow night with Sarah and my family and others serving that meal and we are looking for more volunteers on Monday and Thursday because when we took it on, we had no idea how we were going to pay for it. No idea how we were going to staff it, but we said God will provide. Not in a Pollyanna kind of way, but we are confident that God will provide and that's how we operate. So we also have what is called care and prayer. And so we have people who, if you don't feel that you are, you're not, maybe not a physician, can you pray with people? Can you listen to people? Do you know one of the biggest social determinants of ill health is loneliness? It's the equivalent of smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. So can you sit and listen to someone and say, saw you, Bona, how you doing? I had a guy who I asked that to not too long ago. He started crying because he said, I cannot remember the last time someone asked me how I am. So we pray with people. We have laundry, we do all kinds of programs, and I'm happy to talk to you about those uh, afterwards. But all of this is part of our vision that we want everybody to have the opportunity to serve and to be served and to do all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the key.
And it's not just a case that you would come in and you serve and say, let me give this to you. That's not how Jesus called us to serve, but to do so humbly and to listen and to be one another. We are served as much as we serve. Do you want to be part of that? To have this joy and excitement to say that we can make a difference, that you can make a difference right now for those who are hurting. And I want to finish up this part before we jump into looking at God's word together, sharing a video, just a minute and a half, of one of our clients, Abby. I first found out about Hope Clinic when I was pregnant with my first daughter. So that was probably about almost seven years ago. When I started researching the Hope Clinic, then I realized that you guys were helping with the food pantry. Then we started coming up here for the baby care stuff and then Hope, Hope actually put me together a little welcome pack when the baby was born. And that was really, I thought that was really neat. So we come up here weekly to um, do our laundry. We will go through the food pantry when we need to. Oh, you go through every day and you, everybody's like, how are you? You're like, you're good, but you really don't mean it. You know, you're just like, you say verbally good, but inside you have all this emotions going on. But you do walk into hope and you get the eye contact and they say, how are you? And you realize that they really want to know exactly how are you doing. The thing I enjoy the most is the personal prayer they offer. I can feel the peace, you know, it's like the prayer warriors actually take you into the presence of God, you know, for and the help that you need. Hope Clinic is a gift to me because they fill a spiritual and an emotional void that's sometimes floating around. You can be part of helping people like Abby. Just recently we had a woman brought in with three little kids. She was pregnant. She was literally kicked to the curb in a domestic violence situation. She was picked up and they drove around for three hours trying to help this, find help for this family. Nobody would help. They arrived at Hope, got medical care, got food, got help with housing. They're now in a safe place with a relative. This happens on a regular basis and you can be part of this and think of it this way and I'm happy to talk to folks after in three ways. You can pray. We ask people to come alongside and pray with people. You can help to pay because it costs on average $33 a patient to get help, that's it. And you can stay, you can be part of the ministry and listening to people and helping to make lives better. And that's why I'm grateful that even not too far from here, in the midst of a broken and hurting world, there's a place called hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now respond into the hope that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that as we turn to your word and reflect on it, that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds and our ears. We pray that we would respond to your word, that we know that it will not return to you empty. And so a blessing now on this time together. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So years ago, a good friend of mine who's athletic, he's a mountain climber, he does hiking, he runs marathons, he's nuts. Uh, he and I have the same kind of physique, as you can tell. I look like I run marathons like Dave, but uh, this is a guy who really is involved in this, and he, he called me up uh, 
because he had heard about another mountain climber that he thought that I would appreciate. So what happened is there's a guy who was freeform climbing, I think that's the term for it, he didn't have nets and ropes and things, and he was climbing up and he was doing well until he slipped and he began falling down the side of the mountain and he was trying to reach hold to grab something to break his fall when he, he finally managed to grab hold of a tree branch that was grown out of the side of this mountain. So the guy was so relieved holding onto this branch, but then it turned to a new sense of panic. You may have heard a version of this. I have since seen it on that crazy thing called the internet. Uh, but he was holding onto this branch and he said, now what do I do? And, and so he had never been a person of faith before until now. And so he called out and said, is there anybody up there? And to surprise, a voice said, yes, there is. He said, well, as you can tell, I really need some help. He said, fine. Before I help you, I need to know, do you trust in me? Absolutely, I trust in you. No doubts, no questions. Fine, then if you trust in me, I want you to let go of that branch. Uh, Do what now? (laughs) I, I want you to let go of that branch. So the guy holding on to that, he thought about it, he contemplated every option, and he responded boldly, okay, is there anybody else up there? (laughs) You know, I think for us it's bad, I know, but uh, I think it does point to something in each and every one of us about how when we are faced with difficulty and difficult circumstances, how we can find it hard to really let go of that branch to be able to trust completely in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we can say that at times, we can say, of course we trust in the living God, but do we? Or do we trust more in the things that we have built up? It's natural. I was thinking this morning, got up, I trusted that I'd be able to go have a hot cup of coffee I trusted last night that I knew that the roof would keep that strong wind and rain away. So we become accustomed to the things around us and we get comfortable and we become trusting in those things and our circumstances as opposed to trusting in the living God. But you know, when we do face difficulty, it is then that we can have those questions of why and where are you, God, in the midst of difficult circumstances and struggle with those kinds of questions of why, oh God. And when we have those challenges, when those struggles, we are challenged by the words of the prophet Isaiah. Now, in Isaiah chapter 40, which we're going to read, uh, the uh, prophet speaks to the people who were actually in exile. They had been beaten up by the Babylonians and taken into exile. And because they were in exile, they're saying, okay, wait a minute. If we're the people of God, then why are we in this mess? Why are we in exile? Seriously, if we're supposed to be your people, then why? And the response that the prophet gives is this, and this is in Isaiah 40 at verse 27. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden Uh, from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. 
They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know, this idea of complaining, when the Israelites are complaining, uh, and he says, stop. Do you know there's actually kind of two understandings uh, in scripture about complaining? There's one that's condemned, which is straight out complaining, whining, uh, saying, why, oh God, why don't I have these things, and why didn't I get this, and complaining that way, and that's where the prophet is saying, quit your complaining, quit whining. Did you create the earth? Nope, be quiet. Flipping that is something called groaning. Now, groaning is not only welcome, it's encouraged in Scripture. Look at the Psalms of Lament. Do you know what the difference is? Complaining is about turning inward. Complaining is all what I didn't get, what I wanted, and it's all about me. And groaning is turning that towards God. Groaning is bringing these concerns before our Heavenly Father. And that's why when we turn and trust in him, when we let go of the branch, we're told that when he's saying, don't you know that the power is going to come and increase to the weak Not to those who are saying, I've got everything sorted, I've got my circumstances just right, but instead that he increases that power, and that's different. That's different because we know that when we can trust in the living God, we can have our strength renewed. In fact, we can soar on wings like eagles. That's an effortlessness. That's not in our strength. That's living in God's strength. Now, I found to understand this concept was hard for me. I first came to faith in college, became a follower of Jesus Christ then, and years later, this was just before 9-11, and my family and I were living in Scotland. We lived there for 10 years, Sarah was born there, uh, and when I was there, I was working for the Bible Society, and I was traveling around the world, and I was in Korea, and I ate something I wasn't supposed to eat that they told me not to eat, and I knew better. And I ate it, and it turned into a big mess of uh, illness that I was in hospital for a couple of weeks, but then something else happened. That illness turned into something else. What happened is one morning I woke up and I couldn't feel my feet, and within a very short period of time that went up to my knees, and by the time my wife got there, it was actually to my waist and I couldn't move. And she literally like dragged me through the house to get to the car. By the time we arrived in hospital, I was paralyzed from the chest down. It was frightening. But laying in that hospital room, and thankfully um, in Scotland you become a a physician at like the age of 12, because you go straight from school into the university system training to be a physician, and this young whippersnapper had just studied the disease I had, and she goes, I think this is Guillain-Barre syndrome. And because of that, I was able to get medicine right away. But I was still paralyzed for three months. And it was scary. But you know what, prior to then, I was pretty confident in my own self and in my own circumstances and the things that I had built up and I was okay, right? Of course I trusted the living God. But that was a learning curve that was pretty steep to trust in the living God at that time. And you know what made the difference? Were people walking alongside me offering prayer and encouragement and through that process, I started to get a glimpse of what the kingdom of God in all its fullness looks like. Because every time that a tear is wiped away, we get a glimpse of the kingdom. Every time there is healing, we get a glimpse of the kingdom of what it will look like in all its fullness. 
And that's so much today of what you are involved with, whether it's the CDC or in Puerto Rico or right here, and every time someone is given hope and encouragement and healing, we get a little glimpse of that pocket of the kingdom. And how do we do that? But by giving that buona of seeing each person as they come in these doors and you say, you matter. You are created in the image of God. And when we do that, we're giving people that sense of that, that coming kingdom. And so how do we do that in a broken world today? Sharing about Hope Clinic, where we are in Ypsilanti, right across the street, 81% of households headed by single women live below poverty. Where we are in Wayne Westland, one section, there's no poverty at all. You turn the corner and then 54% of families live below poverty. Poverty right now is considered $12,490 a year. And what happens if you're between jobs, if you lose a job before you get another one, what happens? And if there's the breakdown of the family and community, who do people turn to? And when you hear about people who are in need and people who are hurting, and we say, wow, somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to help. And Jesus said, whatever you done, have done for the least of these, you did for me. There was actually research done on how people respond to those in need, and when they hear a cry for help, there was a guy named Daniel Kenneman who was a professor at Princeton and was doing research uh, with colleagues at NYU, and he did an experiment to see how do people respond to cries for help. And so he had this room, and he put people in uh, these like cubicles where they couldn't see anybody else, but they could hear what was going on. And the center, they had someone who was an actor who was crying out for help. Now, they started off at first by the person just saying, um, something, something's wrong here. I, could somebody come help me? And that turned into, something's really wrong here. I'm, I'm not feeling so... I really need some help, and it kept getting worse to the point where the person would then say, I think I'm dying, I really need help. What percentage of people do you think came out of their cubicles to help? Four out of 15 came out. You know why, when they were interviewed afterwards, why they didn't come out? Because the answer is right there. They knew that others heard the same help for cry, or for help, rather, the cry for help. So if you know that someone else is there, if I say help and you know that they've heard it, what's the response? To say, well, they're going to help too. You ever get that when you ask for volunteers at church? Who's going to help out? Somebody else is going to help. So how do we then say as followers of Jesus Christ when we are called to say to care for those who are hurting, to care for the widow, to care for those in prison, to care for those who are hungry, to care for those who don't have clothes, who are naked, who need help. How do we respond to people who are in need? And sometimes though we feel that we can't respond, that we can't help. Maybe we're still hanging on to that branch and saying, I am the one who is in need of help. How am I supposed to be the one who can in turn help someone else? We don't feel that we are able because of what we have done or maybe not done. Maybe we're struggling in our own faith journey and we don't feel that we are in any position to help anybody else. And yet, God says to us, you, I want you to respond. I want you to help, even if we don't feel that we ha can. If we have been given God's grace, we are called to respond and to share that grace. 
Think about somebody like Peter. If we think just like we had the example of Isaiah challenging us, if we are struggling and God spoke through Isaiah to say, uh, this is how you can let go and trust in me in the midst of difficulty. Peter is someone who was struggling, and this is actually Peter. But you didn't know that Peter actually had blue sneakers and sunglasses. Um, but this is actually Peter. And think about within his life that he had denied Jesus Christ. Does it get worse than that? So he denied Jesus, and yet Jesus says to him, you're the one upon whom I shall build my church. He was the one who he said, you are the one who's gonna follow me and to share this good news that I am alive. And I wanna look at what happens after Peter denies Jesus. He responds by going back to work. He's like, well, I'm done goes back, picks up his nets. And I want to turn to John's gospel, actually, because this is what happens when Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, comes back and meets Peter. And this is in uh, John's gospel, chapter 21. And what's amazing about this is to think that uh, here's Jesus is, is saying when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And when Jesus asks Peter this, he uses the word agape. You've heard that before, the word, you know, there are four words in the Greek in the New Testament for love, and, and the one that we talk about with Jesus is agape, meaning sacrificial love. And Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? Now think about that. What was he saying? Do you love me more than these? And he's pointing to his nets. Do you love me more than you love your work? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. But here's the interesting thing. You can almost hear a voice intonation in this passage because when Jesus says, do you love me, Jesus uses agape. When Peter answers, he doesn't use agape. He uses philia. Now, philia has a connotation of a brotherly or sisterly understanding of love. It does not have an element of sacrifice. So Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And Peter is saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Because you know that I denied you, right? But still, Jesus says, even if you are there at philia, I want you to feed my sheep. What's amazing then is the second time when Jesus asks and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, if he's saying more than these, maybe saying, do you love me more than you love your family? How many would answer that yes? Yes, Lord, I love you more than I love my family. Sacrificially, agape. And Peter answers again, philia. Because you know what, I've denied you. And again, he says, feed my sheep. But finally, a third time, when Jesus asks Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But here's the fascinating thing in this passage. In the Greek, Jesus switches from going agape, agape, and goes philia. He says the third time to Simon Peter, do you love me? And he meets him where he is. He doesn't say, well, if you're not agape at this stage, forget it. Don't feed my sheep. He says, well, if you're here, he's encouraging him and saying, I know that you love me. I know what you went through. I know that you denied me, but I want you to go and to feed my sheep. Jesus is asking us 
Do you love me? If so, feed my sheep. He's saying, do you trust in me like Isaiah? If you trust in me, let go of the branch. If you trust in me in the midst of difficulty and in times of joy, then go and feed my sheep. You can know my strength in the midst of difficulty. You know, what's amazing when we feed our sheep is that Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus sees us where we are. That saw you bona to each of us. And he's asking us to extend that grace that he has first given to us. And I want to finish this up uh, in sharing about this Sayubona and, and feeding the sheep and what that looks like in the every today, every day in the, in the broken world in which we live. And when we go on back to our lives and to our families this afternoon and to work tomorrow and to think about those who are struggling. I got an email just the other day from a woman who had been a patient and a client at Hope, uh, and I have permission to share her story. This actually isn't her picture, but a sharing of another client. Um, but her name is Rita, and Rita has shared that when she first came to Hope, it's because someone recommended that she comes because she had horrific dental pain. She's only able to work a part-time job because of some other issues in her life. Her marriage had imploded, and she lost custody of her kids. Without the dental insurance, without, with dental pain, she came to the clinic and she got her teeth fixed, but more importantly, the person who was fixing her teeth, the dentist, took the time to say, how are you? What's going on? That simple question led to a life transformed. It took months, but what happened is she came to faith in Jesus Christ and it turned out, and through counseling and help, the reason her life had imploded and was such a mess is that she had been sexually trafficked as a child. She's open about her story because she wants to, in her words, she wants to win the Nobel Peace Prize from stopping trafficking and to do so in the name of Jesus Christ. And when she had been sexually trafficked, it turned out that it was from her father. So she was dealing with so much of heavy weight and we got her signed up with counseling and we got medical care for her and the dental care that she already got and food and she got Christmas presents for her kids that year. And you know what happened? When she came to faith and got healing and hope in Jesus Christ, last year she graduated from EMU with a degree in social work. The reason I was in touch with her is that I just wrote her a letter of recommendation for a master's program. She in turn, who has been helped and healing and given this glimpse of the kingdom of God because those tears were wiped away and healing happened and because of that, she is able to extend that grace and to make a difference and to bring hope and healing for in the midst of a broken world, there's a place called hope and you can partner to be part of that and to feed God's sheep. Amen. And thanks be to God. Let's, let's come before him in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have saved us through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, that you have extended us your grace. We're so grateful this morning that we were able to come here and to worship, to know that we didn't have to worry about what we would eat or what clothes we would wear or how to get here but that you provide for all of these things. And so we pray, dear God, that because of the way that you have blessed us, that we in turn would be a blessing to others. 
to know that just as Jesus said, whatever we have done for the least of these, we have done to you. And so we seek to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and and provide hope and healing in the midst of a broken world and that we do so in the powerful name of Jesus Christ so that those who are holding on to a branch for dear life, that they can let go and know your strength and to know that we can go from here strengthened to serve you and to glorify you and to feed your sheep. We pray this all in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.